So, 1 Samuel chapter 1 is where we take our message for today. And I want to look at a couple different points about a very important mother in Scripture, and that is Hannah. Uh, The points we'll be covering today are, number one, Hannah's sorrow. Number two, Hannah's request and promise. Number three, God answers Hannah's request. And number four, Hannah's response to God's gift. And so, I trust that the Lord will bless His Word as we dig into it today. Um, Our first section that we're going to cover is the first eight verses of 1 Samuel chapter 1. So, if you will read with me, um, starting in verse 1. Now, there was a certain man of of Raymond Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zufa, and Ephrathite. Now, there's a lot of words there that are very difficult to pronounce, um, but God had a reason for those to be there, and uh, so they might warrant further uh, study at another time. Um, and he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and, his, and to his sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah said to her husband, said to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So we, we see in this first section, um, we see a dilemma that Hannah had, we see a sorrow that Hannah had, and I, I'm so grateful that God understands our sorrows. He never says, don't sorrow. He says to us as believers, don't sorrow as those who have no hope, but he never says, don't sorrow. As a matter of fact, he says that the sufferings that we go through are often so that we can comfort others with the comfort wherewith we have been comforted. So it is only through the sorrows of life in some ways that we are given the opportunity to ultimately rejoice knowing that God had a plan even if we don't see it um, in the beginning. And I'm sure as my mom was sitting in church on May 27, 1979, the last thing on her mind was that 
before the day was out, she would meet her firstborn son. Because I was supposed to be born August 11th. And I decided, well, God decided, but I, I like to tell her I decided they were on vacation, I wanted to join the party, so I decided to come early. Well, that ushered my mom into a, um, into, it shortened her pregnancy by almost a full trimester. And so she was thrust from still having these almost three months to prepare to all of a sudden um, being faced with the responsibility of a new young life in a new way and also being dealing with the complications that I would have as a result. I was born in Jackson, Michigan and would later go to Ann Arbor and to Butterworth and spent almost two months in the hospital and came home, I believe, just a few days before my mother's birthday, right before she turned um, 20. And so imagine all this occurring to my dad and my mom, who were very young at the time, but God was faithful, and I must say that I'm very thankful for my mom. Because of my mom, that I have a podcast, because she's the one that encouraged me to reach out to local radio stations. It's because of my mom that I worked for Right to Life of Michigan, because she bothered me for a year before I finally acquiesced to getting an interview there and was hired on the spot. It's because of my mom that I, the little boy, who many people thought could not learn well, many of my early teachers downgraded my potential, but it's because of my mom and her desire to see me learn and her belief in my potential, and because she homeschooled me, that I'm now teaching the next generation in a school. I often wonder what my former teachers in the special education system would think of that. And if I ever run into any of them, I will find out. But uh, God has certainly been faithful. But getting back to our passage here, we see um, that Elkanah had two wives. One of them had children. The other did not. Now, it, I always find it interesting in the scripture that it's never expressly stated as a wrong thing in these passages to have more than one wife. But I think it's because God, is, God shows us that the ramifications of it are its own punishment. Because if Elkanah only had one wife, he wouldn't have one wife putting down the other wife. So I think that's why um, it doesn't have to be expressly stated, but Jesus confirms for us that a man is to be the husband of one wife, that marriage is one man, one woman for a lifetime. And a lot of this grief that Hannah is going through is because that pattern was not followed. But we see this situation where Elkanah loves Hannah. And it is perhaps a similar situation to, um, to uh, Jacob and his wife, because it never says that Elkanah loves Penina. But it says Elkanah loves Hannah. And he says, am I not better to you than ten sons? Well, in some ways, that was probably true, but when you're living in the reality of your current situation, 
when your greatest desire, as in Hannah's case, is to be a mother, it's very hard to look past that. I can relate on the level of I still have a great desire to be married, and it's very difficult for me to continue um, to go through life alone. So I can relate to what is happening here on that level. But it, it talks about how Elkanah was a faithful man. He went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts. And I think sometimes we, we say, well, if somebody isn't being blessed in the way that they wish to be blessed or in the way that God should be blessing them, we think, well, it's because their priorities are wrong. But it's not necessarily the case. They were doing what God asked them to do. They were going yearly to the sacrifice. And um, then when he offered his sacrifice, he gave to Peninnah and his wife and to his sons their portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, which I, um, which it says in my notes, or a double portion, because he loves her, but the Lord has shut up her womb. And I think it's so interesting that the Bible often says that the Lord opens and shuts the womb. Today we often think it's our responsibility to play God in this area. But I believe that it is God who does that work and that we should leave it to Him. And I make no apologies for that stand. So, Hannah is in this horrible predicament. She's probably already feeling bad. But then because Penina is mocking her, it says, it made her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. And so every year, this back and forth is going on. How are you not able to have kids and I am? That makes me superior to you. That's what we can read from reading between the lines. And then Alpina, I'm sure he was beside himself because he didn't want his wife to feel this way. We never, we never um, have a clear indication as to why this happened. We just know that it's true. And then he's trying to make her feel better. So he says, why weep thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thine heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Now, obviously, he had, there's indications here that he'd been a faithful husband, but in the depths of her sorrow, it didn't really help him that much. I'm sure it did help, but her sorrow at not being able to have a child was, was prominent for her at this point. And as I was reading this, it reminded me of another passage, and that is in Ruth. If we could read Ruth chapter 4. Verses 13 and 15. If you know the story of Ruth, you know that um, Naomi and um, and her husband Elimelech 
um, went to uh, Moab because there was a famine, and they found husbands or found wives for their sons, Malan and Killian, and over a short period of time, Malan and Killian and the one left are dead, and Naomi says, I need to go back to my homeland, and she tells the people there when she gets back, call me not Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Lord is the Lord sent me, sent me out full and brought me back empty. And then God brings her through this whole journey of showing her that he's always in control, that he never got the ball, that he always cared about her, and this is the end result. So if someone could read um, Ruth 4, 13 to 15... portions 
and he tried to let her know that he cared about her, and he said, am I not better than, better to you than ten sons? But it didn't work. There was, there was no human solution for Hannah's sorrow. And so, Hannah turns to God. We can learn a lot from Hannah, because she pours her heart out to God. I think sometimes we're afraid to pour our heart out to God. I know I am. A lot of times I keep my prayers general because I don't want God to not follow through. I'd rather see God follow through on vague prayers than fall short of, of answering my specific prayers. But Hannah, it says in verse 9 of First Samuel chapter 1, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk, now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me, and not forget thy handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying for the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said to her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away wine from me. And Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of them. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and the countenance was no more sad. There's a hymn that says, Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that called me from a world of care and bid me at my father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare. At thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Heartfelt prayer does lift up the countenance. How many psalms have you read where the psalmist is in despair in verse 1 but by the end of the chapter, he's rejoicing in God. <clears throat> if you are in despair today, today, maybe you don't have a good relationship with your mother, or maybe your mother has already passed on, as has my grandmother and my father's mom, may the God of all comfort give you peace today, unless you know that he is with you, no matter what happens. Now, I noticed a couple of different things in this section we just read, she rises, she goes to the temple, and she prays. And it says that she 
she was in bitterness of soul and praying to the Lord and wept sore. How often do we weep before the Lord? <coughs> Probably not enough in my life. And she said, Lord, if you will indeed look on the affliction of my of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give thine handmaid a child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. I'm thankful for a mother who gave me to the Lord at a young age. She pointed out to me during some of my most distressing time as a child that God had made a promise in the Old Testament that all of the firstborn are His, of both man and beast. And that has encouraged me throughout my life and has set me on a course that I'm now on where I'm seeking every day to find new ways to serve my Lord and Savior. And then we see that Eli first thinks she's drunk. Perhaps he's reflecting on what he's seen from the behavior of his own sons. But she wasn't drunk. She was speaking in her mind and in her heart to the Lord, and the Lord heard. I'm reminded of the fact that the Lord intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray. We're just at the end of ourselves. And that's where God can come in and pick up the pieces. Perhaps you as a mother are going through frustrations with your children because you can't make them believe what you believe and you can't make them do the right thing, but all you can do is to cry out before the throne of God on their behalf. I'm here because my mother did that for me. So I'd encourage you not to give up. And then after Eli finds out about what Hannah was praying about, he says, go in peace, and the God of Israel. Cranzi, thou thy petition, as I was asked of him. And then she goes and it says her countenance was no longer sad. She came out of that prayer meeting with God at peace. I don't know if she knew that God would do exactly what she asked, but she was at peace. And I, I'm reminded of how a little bit of encouragement can give us peace too. Eli gave her encouragement in the Lord. And might I encourage you mothers to give encouragement to your children in the Lord. Sometimes it can be the only thing that keeps us going. Because there have been many times when I was really discouraged. In the last few years before I got my job, I kept saying, why doesn't God give me a job? Why does He keep saying no when I apply for these jobs that I want? And my mom kept saying, God has a job for you. You will work it out. And now the job that I have is the best job I've ever had in my entire life. And I thank God every day that I can go into work for, with the people that I work with and that I can impact the next generation for Jesus. And, um, and I'm just 
overwhelmed with gratitude that all those no's that God gave were just preparation for a better yes. And I have to believe that that's true in other areas of my life that have not yet been fulfilled as well. And Hannah's really humble too because she doesn't get mad at Eli as a matter of fact she says let thy handmaid find grace in thy sight. So she has this humble attitude and she goes forth from this prayer meeting rejoicing. By way of cross-reference if we could look at Psalm 62.8 Psalm 62.8 this is um, a psalmist's response to God and his goodness. So if we could have somebody read that, that would be great. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge God is a refuge. Hannah sought refuge in God. And so my prayer for you is that you would seek refuge in God. So in our message today, titled The Heart of a Mother, we've looked at Hannah's sorrow. We've looked at Hannah's request and promise. And now for our third point, we will look at God answers Hannah's request. 1 Samuel 1, 19-23. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Alcana knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass that the time was come after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Alcana and all his house went up to offer the yearly sacrifice and his, and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. And Elkanah said, her husband said unto her, Do what seemeth good, tarry until thou hast weaned. Only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. So I find it very interesting the next verse in verse 19 after she's had this prayer meeting and had this breakthrough with God says they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house that speaks to me because you would think well from a human perspective maybe I'll wait until God answers my prayer to worship then I'll have something to worship about but the reality was, God was worthy of worship even if He never did anything that, that we wanted Him to do. He was worthy of worship when our reality was hell. He didn't have to send Jesus to die on the cross to be worthy of worship. He was worthy of worship because He created the world and as Creator... He's worthy of worship. Now, we give him gratitude and worship because of what he has done, no doubt about it, but he was worthy of it before we realized what he had done. Because his worthiness is intrinsic in him being God. So I just think it's really neat 
that the next thing they do is worship. And then um, God gave her conception, and she had a son, and she gave um, his name Samuel, saying, because I asked him of the Lord, and the Lord answered. And I believe she had four more children after this, so when God opened her womb, he left it open, but the point being that God answered her direct request because of her humility, because of her honesty before him, and because it would ultimately be someone, Samuel, who he would use in his plan to first anoint Saul and then to anoint David, a man after his own heart, to be king of Israel. And so it's amazing, once again, how often God uses barren women to change the course of history. Mary being barren because she was a virgin. Elizabeth being barren because she was old and because God had a plan. And even before that, Sarah being being barren, giving birth in her 90s. All these women were faced with impossible situations, but God made the the impossible possible. Because he often will give you a calling, make it impossible for you to do it, and then do it through you anyway, so that he alone gets the glory. There's a lot of things that people have said has been impossible for me to do, but when I do them, I get the opportunity to point to the one who made it all possible, and that's Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus is so sweet, isn't it? Like, like was stated earlier a couple of times, I'm not interested in talking about some generic God that we all claim to know. I'm interested in talking about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who I know by name and who He knows by my name. And He actually knows me by name that I don't even know yet because the Bible says that I'll get a new name. And he knows it. And there's not a thought in my head that is processed out of my head before the Lord knows it altogether. Now that can be a scary thought. But it's also a precious thought because when I'm suffering, when I'm hurting, he knows it. He doesn't need anyone to tell him. And he's there for me. And so then he says, I'm going to wean my son. And when he's weaned, I'll take him to Eli. And he'll be in the house of the Lord forever. I'm sure those were special times those first few years. Because she knew that um, she would only visit him like once a year after that. She was probably talking to him a lot about the circumstances of his birth and how God had orchestrated it and made her who was barren no longer so. And how much she rejoiced in that. Stories like this make it even more confounding to me that our culture has embraced barrenness, has stated it as a good thing, 
when in fact it is not. Sometimes it is God's will for someone. I don't want to imply otherwise, but it is not the ultimate will of God. It is looked on in numerous passages of Scripture as a punishment. And so we should not rejoice in it. Alright, if if someone could read um, Psalm 22, verse 9. Psalm 22, verse 9. So, um, it's, it's just another uh, indication of um, God orchestrating the life within the womb. Um, God's the one that creates life. God's the one that sustains life. We sing in, in Christ alone from earth from my first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no greater peace than that. There have been a couple times when I thought that I was going to die. I thought that it was the final moments of my life. But God has brought me through them. And that has served to remind me that until He's done with me, I will be here. Faithfully serving him. Now my desire would be um, to be given many, many, many more years of service. And to go to see him without ever dying. That's my desire. It may not be God's plan, but it's my desire. And the Bible says that if you love the Lord and seek good days, that you should seek Him with all your heart. You, that you should do His will. And that's what I'm endeavoring to do. Alright, um, we have one final um, point here. And that is Hannah's response to God's gift. Now remember, Hannah made a promise to God. And from a human perspective, many of us would probably say, well... Uh, maybe you don't have to do that. Because now you have the son. Why would you want to give him up? Why would you want his formative years to be take place in this temple? Why would you want this old guy, Eli, to raise him when he's your son? But, see, she remembered her promise to God. Let's read in Romans 1. Verses 24 to 28. Romans 1:24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought them to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me the petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth.
he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. So no doubt this was a a major thing for Eli too because he was seeing the fulfillment of the prayer of a few years previous when Hannah was pouring out her soul to God and he said the Lord grant thee what you request. And I'm just I'm just so blessed by the story um, to see how God answers the prayers of those who love Him. And I know that God has a plan for each one of our lives and I'm so thankful that for many of us that plan has included a good mother. Abraham Lincoln said, All that I am, I owe to my angel mother. He's regarded by everyone, or most people, as one of the greatest presidents in the history of our country. And yet he himself said, the only way I am who I am is because of my mother. And um, James Garfield said that today I follow Christ because my mother prayed for me when I was rebel, when I was a rebel, that I would come to know and to trust Him in the crucified one. Um, and uh, I think it's so important that we value mothers, that we show the world God's view of motherhood. That we don't allow the world to dictate the way we do things. Because I think so often we have allowed that. Because your daughters and your children in general will aspire to the things that you value. So make sure that you show them that you value the right things. I just want to share this cross-reference from the book of Luke chapter 18 verses 15 and 16 and they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them when his disciples saw it they rebuked him they rebuked them but Jesus called unto them and said suffer little children Come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Did you know that if you are doing the job of mother, you are in the very business of furthering the kingdom of God? Sometimes people say, well, 
I have so many talents, so many gifts, so much to give, that how can I be doing enough if I'm just a mother? But without good mothers, we don't have family. Without family, we, we don't have a society. And without a society grounded in God, our nation is crumbling. We've come to a place in country where, as Jesus says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Please, mothers, regardless of whether your children are grown, continue to stand in the gap. Continue to fight the good fight. And continue to pass on a legacy to the next generation, which desperately needs it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for our mothers. We thank you for um, the gifts that you give. They're good and perfect. And we know that high on that list is mothers. We're just so thankful for all that you do. So thankful that your blueprint for family and society works. That when you said, For this cause shall a man cleave unto his wife, leaving father and mother, you weren't posting it as a guideline to be a choice to be made that was just a good idea. You are posting a blueprint for success. When you said that um, children are a blessing, you are reminding us that there's so many things we can't take with us to heaven. We won't be pulling a a U-Haul trailer or a hearse, or buying a hearse. But the things that we can take to heaven are the souls of our children. If we're faithful in teaching them the gospel, I'm so thankful for a mother who is faithful in teaching the gospel. And for a father that let her stay home so she could teach us. I'm overwhelmed, Lord. So I just say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.